Please don't bark, cause Millie bought back. What does that even mean? What does it even mean? It's not, not for not you, baby. Freaking look it up. Mm. Welcome to Coffee and Tequila, guys. Is this the state of the show that we do now? Is open the episode and we're immediately pulling the cap off the bottle. Here's your wine, baby. And we say, hey, welcome to Coffee and Tequila, guys. We're here to. So it's from Flo Millie Bobby Brown. Flo Millie. <laughs> oh, did you look it up? Yes. Um. Oh, this is perfect, guys. We are about to have Welcome to Coffee and Tequila, the Friday Night Late Show. My name is Zach. My name is Alistair. And we are we are being treated right now to a, a lyric reading of Conceited by Flo Millie, a reading by Alistair J. Patton. Gosh. Feeling myself, I'm conceited. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um feeling myself, I'm conceited, huh? Yeah. Uh, you want a model, bitch. All for the internet internet. All that key key keen. I ain't into that. All my mini me's, I invented that facts. Uh uh. Long ass weave flow down my back. Hoes don't like when I talk like that. Please don't bark cause Millie bite back. Grr. Good job. Good job. You look so uncomfortable. It's just not meant for me. You're like sweating a ton too. That's always me. (laughs) Right now I'm just sitting in here sweating, just waiting for fall. So. And today, so I apologize. I did do not have a cocktail for us today, so I broke out this old uh, old bottle of wine that we got from oh, moving in yes. here. Okay, called this Stella Rosa, pulled right off of the top of the refrigerator. Uh, yes, uh, we forgot we even had it. Um, <laughs> Lean back a little bit, you're and too, you're talking like you're too close to it. And let me tell you, um, if you do not like normal red wine and you want something cheaper, sweeter, and uh, less alcoholic. This is the way to go. No, let me see. I'll be honest. I'm probably not going to drink it. That tastes like <laughs> old grape juice that was sitting in the refrigerator. Tastes like uh, sparkling juice gone wrong. It's not good. It's not good. Um, <laughs> welcome to Coffee to Kill the Friday Night Late Show. As always, this episode is kindly being sponsored by Helix Sleep, and we'll let you know a little bit more about them a little bit later. Uh, today, we have a great show for y'all. It's something that we've been actually really looking forward to. Um, we're talking about Jeanette McCurdy's new book. It just came out a week ago at the time we're recording this, at the time that this episode premieres. It should be out like two weeks by now. Um, it's called One, Two, Three. <laughs> I'm glad I... No. I'm glad, I'm glad I killed glad my mom. My mom died. <laughs> <laughs> Given a whole new meaning to Alistair's alternative facts. No. Uh, we are reading Jeanette McCurdy's new book. I'm glad I murdered my mother. Yeah, no. <laughs> No, um, I'm glad my mom died. It was uh, it's it's the new memoir by Jean- Jeanette McCurdy. She, uh, Je- are what? you familiar with Jean- Jeanette McCurdy? I was so, really surprised that you picked this one. He, Alistair actually picked this one. You don't usually pick the like celebrity uh, memoirs, and I was really surprised that you picked this one and you sent it to me. And you were like, we should we should cover this. I don't know what was getting into me. I think I got into the, like the social media slam about mm. it all, and it seemed like a very interesting topic because I had heard a couple years ago that she had retired from acting. Right. Um, and I thought that this was like an interesting, like it, it was something I've never seen, especially from a memoir, mm. um, a memoir perspective. And like, I'm not a, a fan. I think of Jeanette McCurdy's work, not because I don't like it, but because I, I've really not consumed it. Yeah. Um, the way, uh, that maybe her fans have consumed it. So you're her age. She was born in 92, just like you. And so she was playing younger 
Um, I guess I guess the audience probably doesn't really. Most of our audience probably doesn't really know who Janet McCurdy is either. Um, Janet McCurdy was a. I'm not thirty yet, uh, by the way. <laughs> a Nickelodeon child star who was on the hit show iCarly. It was uh, one of like the the big big Nickelodeon shows that were out at the time. You know, we had uh, Zoe One on One, Victorious, iCarly. Um, she Sam played Sam Puckett, and uh, so I watched iCarly a little bit, but I feel like I got even too old for it like right as it started so i like kind of grew out of it it was very much a show that my sister was like super into so my sister really liked yeah. it um, well because even though i think the actors were actually around our age yeah. uh, they played younger and they they skewed younger um mm. for the audience but those shows um for nickelodeon did pretty well yeah um all of those victoria's zoe 101 carly was massive it's like a reboot right now it's got a reboot that's on paramount plus um they came back for it she didn't return with the, with the rest of them but she didn't um, and she talks about it in the book a little bit too yeah about so she, her decision to do, not do that she was a former child store she started in the business really really young she had a stage mother and that's what this whole book is about is kind of her experience going through hollywood land um and and really talking about she talks about a lot of really intense subjects here uh she talks about parental abuse um uh sexual assault sexual assault bad relationships uh eating disorder is a really big one that's kind of that's probably ocd even the most prevalent one um there's just a lot there's a lot of uh, of different things there's definitely a lot to unpack about it and the thing is like uh, jeanette mccurdy's book could read very sad um, but, but I think it thing, read really funny to me. She she yeah. put a funny spin on her book and on her very unfortunate situations mm-hmm. um, where like she was like very wrong about like what was happening. Uh, but also like, I, I don't want to say she was lighthearted, but she framed it in a way that was super accessible for people and also uh, made you want to consume more and didn't put you in a bad place. I think her writing was really interesting too, is that it wasn't, I, I've, 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 we've read a lot of memoirs for this, this show and some of them that we haven't even done episodes on yet, but a lot of times a celebrity will do a memoir or an autobiography and they'll try to like make the, the language really flowery. And you can tell that they probably had like a, a ghost writer in there with them or something like that. Some nice adjectives. Trying to make it like a damn whole, whole, whole ass novel, a Danielle Steele novel, you know? And I really appreciate that Jeanette McCurdy really keeps it like to the basics here. And that doesn't even mean that, you know, her, her writing's dulled down at all. Like it's really good. I think she's she's a good writer. She's a really good essayist. I think, I think these all read like really great essays all compiled together that kind of like formed one bigger story. And, uh, it, it, she doesn't go out of her way to try to sound like somebody she's not. She, she very much like her, she comes through the book, you know, that is, I guess we did listen to it on audible. We don't have the physical copy because (laughs) physical copy has been like sold out everywhere. You know what? We we had the benefit. of Good for her. Her physical copies all sold out. Yes. And let me tell you right now, um, that it's why'd you do that? It's not a shot. Uh, um, oh, <laughs> um, let me tell you right now uh, that it's so important that if you do want to support authors, pre-order their books. Yeah, um, because stuff like this happens and they get sold out. And right now we have um, our local Barnes and Noble. We have uh, one copy on reserve when it comes in. I do want, I do. I want a physical um, copy. I want to put it on the shelf. Um, but we had the benefit of listening to it on audible and, and we heard her. So like, yes. I wonder if it, if other people read it the kind of the way we heard it, because the way we heard it, she, she's really great at narrating her own book. Like she, she does a fantastic job. Honestly, and, it, it, uh, uh, she is a very good audiobook narrator, but obviously she's like, she's trained to be an actress and, 
like she, she's trained into being able to like do stuff like that. Yeah. So it makes sense when you are an actor or a creative person at some point and, and you transition like that. Uh, and let me tell you, I'm so grateful whenever we have a memoir where it's narrated by the uh, actual But sometimes person. it gets really sketchy, though. So I love Mob Wives. I love <laughs> Mob Wives. <laughs> and um, Karen Gravano, who, Gravano, who, who uh, Sammy the Bull's daughter, she wrote a, a book called Mob Daughter, and she narrated her own, and I got that on Audible, and I was listening to it, and she is struggling. She is struggling to read that book, and she is uh, very much the person who I'm like talking about when I say she's trying to... like. I, I, Make it flowery. The, the way she doesn't talk, you know. So there's there's like a, a line in there somewhere where she's like, um, uh, "My mother roused the children from bed, from their slumber as the sun came up," and it's like, "Just just tell us what happened, right? Like don't don't try to keep paint it to the, the facts." Yeah, you're not doing White Oleander here. Um, this book did remind me of a little bit of White Oleander, actually. Just the uh, the kind of uh, growing up story that. That sort of happens, the uh, coming-of-age story that this is, because this is a coming-of-age story as well. It, it is a coming-of-age story, and I also really like when we, uh, especially, like, read, listen to um, Hollywood memoirs, yeah. where it, like, really pulls back the curtain of what it is like for those people. Like, another really good Hollywood memoir uh, that we've loved, we haven't covered it at exactly all, is too. Inside Out by Demi Moore. And she has a gorgeous voice, too, and she narrates it herself. Did we listen to that one? We listened to it, yeah. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. And she has such a husky voice. Yeah. And I, I really like when we read it and um, they peel back. And one thing that kind of resonated between uh, Demi Moore's memoir and uh, Jeanette McCurdy's is they both had issues with food. They both have issues with food and they both had issues with their mothers. But it definitely is a memoir that's very focused on that relationship because it doesn't end until I, yeah. I think in her mind that relationship ends. Because uh, we're not reading this book up until 2020, 2022. Um, I'm pretty sure it stops around 2018. It's, it's when she yeah. accepts that, you know, like, uh, not accepts, but like finally lets completely go of her mother and her hold on her life. Yeah, she she retired from acting uh, like late 2010s. Yeah, like late 2010s. And ever since then, she's been doing various things. She has like a podcast where she's already talked about like this story, just not in as great a detail, but she has other guests come on, other child stars, other people in the industry. And they, she just has a podcast and she talks with them. It's a really, really great podcast, actually. Um, and she and, also writes for some publications yeah, as well. Yeah, so she's like, you know, she's this, she, this is a, a really great creative outlet for her. I think it's just the age-old story of the the stage parent, right? Um, and I think she very much opens like that. The Jeanette's mother is a stage parent. Her her mom uh, is is how old is she when she goes first starts going six. into six years old? She starts going to auditions. Her mom's like dragging her around Hollywood and like taking her to agents and auditions and into acting classes and all of these different things. Um, and really like impressive, uh, putting uh, forcing an identity onto her daughter rather than letting her daughter find her own identity. Um, and we see that all the time, you know, there's a lot of actors that we know nowadays that started out really, really young. No, Sarah Michelle Gellar started out as a child. Mm-hmm. I feel like a child does not, it just, you could say, I said it all the time when I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor, you know, I wanted to be in movies and stuff like that. Like we know we can do that, but, um, as a child, you don't know what all of that entails. You're not taking yourself to the auditions. Your mother, your parent is doing that, you know? Um, and some parents, it seems like Sarah's mother was maybe, you know, one of the better ones who didn't really well, like, I, traumatize her with stuff like, or she's never spoken about it. But then there was, um, um, 
Brooke Shields' mother, like Brooke Shields, do you know Brooke Shields? She mm-hmm. was uh, she was in Playboy at 13 years old. Yep. And her mother signed off on that and everything. She was completely oh okay with that. Basically, pimped her daughter out to Hollywood, you know. And it just, there's just no real, even, even stories that are not that extreme, like stories that may be, um, like the kids who go to on these Nickelodeon shows and these Disney shows, you know, the amount that they work, they're being, they're workhorses, you know. Oh, which, so honestly, one thing yeah. that actually shocked me is just to, just to say real quick is she said she wasn't going to get any residuals off of my Carly. Mm-hmm. I was shocked by that. I thought that they were getting residuals off of the Nickelodeon shows and the fact that they weren't, I don't know how that, how that, even I don't works understand out. how that works either. Yeah. I did, yeah did, because did, I thought they did. I thought they did too. Uh, but, but I think it, it has to be some sort of like uh legal finesse. Uh, but I, so what I see in terms of uh, Jeanette McCurdy and her mother and this is just my observations, um, is two two things. One, um, you can tell that Jeanette McCurdy's mother doesn't have a close relationship with her husband. And she pushes, she instead forms a very close relationship with this young girl and um, kind of treats her as her other person instead of having her other person be another you know her husband in her life. Well, that's one that one way that she she's abusing her daughter. She's treating her daughter like she's treating her daughter as like a daughter. She's treating her like the a the puppet. family brand winner. She's treating her like a puppet. She's treating her like a best friend that she confides things that, that this child shouldn't know about. Like she's doing all of those things um, and really making this child like the center of the family's world. But she's also like you know she's also pushing her other kids into into acting too, right? She like tries to do that. Um, she does, but she doesn't. I think that. With Jeanette, she seems to see herself and all of what she could have been. Yes. And uh, yeah. with, with her other kids, if they find success, good for them. But who really matters is Jeanette. Yeah. Making you know? sure Jeanette is going to be the successful one. Um, they all live together in a house. The grandparents live with them too, right? Mm-hmm. And they're all living in this house that uh, his his the, the father's parents own, correct? Yes. Yeah, and so they they're not making a whole bunch of money. I think the dad works at Home Depot and I think he worked at like two different yeah two, like Blockbuster two, two and Home Depot at the same time. So they're not making a whole bunch of money. The mom is uh, they're they're religious. They kind of kind of religious. They take the, them to uh, j- to church, but they're conveniently religious. Conveniently religious. We know we all know people like that, yeah. right? You go to when you need something, you're praying your ass off, and you're getting yourself into the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the mom, pretty early on, we learned ha- had cancer at one point, and that. That plays a big role throughout the rest of Jeanette's life or like a big chunk of her life because she's always like complaining about her illnesses and like playing up the cancer card. She's always, the mother's always telling everybody, yeah, I have cancer this or I'm a cancer survivor survivor, or I can't be doing this. Yeah, I have this illness because I had cancer this one time or like really playing it up for pity. She's like really milking that she had cancer. You know what? Um, she still died from cancer. So like she ends up dying from, she, she, she she really had the ability to play that pity card. She, she had the ability to play the pity card, but also like, 
did it in i think everything she does is kind of she does in a manipulative way her mom is like micromanaging everything about her you know she is she flies off the handle if if jeanette has a different flavor ice cream favorite flavor ice cream like yes. jeanette at one point doesn't want coconut flavor ice cream she wants like cookies and cream and the mom like starts crying and and or like getting upset acting like she's getting upset so jeanette like wants to make her happy and knows all of her mother's triggers and knows what kind of um, mannerisms her mom has what faces she makes what kind of her mood shifts are and she knows how to Jeanette knows how to fall in line and make her mom go back into like a happy place because she doesn't want her mom to be angry or sad or which is interesting because we see this throughout um, that uh, her mother uh, not only doesn't want her to grow but also doesn't want her uh, other uh, kids her, yeah. her, her other two boys to grow and she does some pretty uh, disgusting things because of that like um uh, to try to keep them young in yeah. her mind and to kind of infantilize them um, throughout the book. She wants them. She's very adamant that she wants everybody to stay young. She wants Jeanette to stay young. And and even not only for just herself, but because like Jeanette staying young, she's getting roles from that, right? She's getting, there's more opportunities for her to play like younger characters. And so they want her to stay really young. Um, well, that her too. mom wipes her ass until she's like 10 years old. I thought it was really weird and she like insists on it. She, Jeanette's like, well, I could do that myself. And the mom's like, no, I have to do it until you're at least 10 years old. Um, the mom showers Jeanette herself and, and her son and her, and her son or sons. Uh, yeah. Um, I know she specifically talked about one of her brothers, uh, who was still 16 years old and was made to shower with her. Who's like, with I think Jeanette, around she made Jeanette and, and her brother, uh, Scotty, Shower together, together. And, um, and Jeanette recalls that experience and is like, it was it was really uncomfortable because you know we we just we didn't want to be showering together so we wouldn't look he'd at face each other. away we kind of would face away but mom insisted on showering us together and it's like she the mo the mother has them so trained that if they don't just go along with what she wants it's a whole breakdown it's a whole breakdown and they really would rather just avoid the breakdown and so they just do whatever she wants um the, but the, her mom showers her until she's like 17 years old you know um and she does uh, um body part examinations and checks like she's checking her private parts and making sure that her private parts are not i guess not growing so or, um or, th th this is another instance of both infantilization and like something actually truly disgusting yeah um uh you know jeanette is concerned when she starts going through pu puberty and she starts seeing that her breasts are developing and yeah. she thinks it's breast cancer because of her mom yeah um having breast cancer and she goes to her mom her mom feels it and she's like no you're just actually just growing mm -hmm. and she's like how can i make it stop and she tells her um uh, she tells her daughter uh, to start, you know, reducing and calories. She says it. She says she kind of, she kind of like and makes it a joke. And she's like, "I'll tell you the secret to keep your breast from growing. Um, you need to start counting calories, and we'll have to, yeah. we'll do this together." And so they start doing this together. So that it turns into a whole eating disorder where doctors are concerned that she's Jeanette, taught an eating disorder. Yes, and doctors are concerned that Jeanette is anorexic. Um, the people at her acting class are, are concerned that Jeanette's anorexic. They all bring this up to her. Um, meanwhile. The mom is is actively counting calories with Jeanette because the mom has the eating disorder as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so the mom then teaches that to Jeanette and they're doing it together and they're counting calories in the evening and they're planning out their diets and they're planning out this, that, and the other. And Jeanette is developing OCD because she's 
got so much anxiety and she's so on edge all the time and um she because they're like pseudo religious it's it's it, they don't really practice it and they don't go all that often but it's always beat into her head that god this god that god that and so Jeanette is like actively waiting for the holy spirit to speak to her and she's she's waiting for a long time for this and when it finally does the holy spirit tells her to start like uh, going into the bathroom and put, and, and uh, touching her waistband five times and closing the door five times and like doing things like that. And so OCD develops. And so in addition to the eating disorder, she's also got this OCD that's feeding into that as well. So she's got to like weigh herself five times and all of these different things that just well, it, it, at such it, a young it's, age. It's also her mentality developing ways to deal with everything that's going on around her. Um, like, the, the, and then her mother uses that excuse to uh, be able to check her for the rest of, you know, until she's about 17. And um, she's going to all of these. Meanwhile, she's going to all of these uh, casting calls and what must be so terrible for especially uh, little kids is going to all of these things and being told you're not good enough. Yeah. You know, you're not pretty enough or you're not ugly enough or you're not this, you're not that. And then... um, and it always seems like that, right? That there's always something that you're just not that makes you not right for the part. And a child is not going to understand that they are looking for a very specific thing that fits within their story, right? Like we as adults can kind of understand that. And it's still kind of messed up when you're like, you're just child is not pretty enough. But like that's what the that's what the casting directors are there to do. They're there, there to find the perfect person for their story and for their project. But a child does not understand that. A child is just hearing, oh, you're not pretty enough. You're not this enough. And so Jeanette spends all of her time wanting to be pretty enough, wanting to be perfect enough, wanting to be agreeable. Wanting to be young. Wanting to be the good sport. And, and she like tries to find the, her own it factor and develop her own it factor. There's even one point where... Um, uh, her mom calls a casting agent because there's some movie that that she they really wanted her to get an audition for, and she didn't. They didn't, the casting agents didn't even put her out for it. And so the mom calls them, and she's like, "Why didn't you put my daughter forth? You put this person, this person, this person." And the casting agent says, "Well, you're Jeanette's too pretty. She's too um, she's actually too pretty. Uh, well, you're, she's, uh, and, yeah, because they that's wanted not her what we're to looking play for. She's not ugly, androgynous. Enough. She's not. Well, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They they wanted her to play." an androgynous character and they're so like, then she hears that and yeah. she's like well i thought everybody's wanting me to be pretty like you know but yeah now i'm not ugly enough that's kind of a confidence booster but still and then you think about you know the person on the other end of that who got that role are they so are, were they just ugly enough for that role you know are they is that what was beat into their head and it's just this whole cycle of like these kids being put into these audition rooms sitting in rows of seats with all of these other kids who are there for the same sorts of things and these kids are trained from such an early age if she's doing this at like six seven eight nine ten years old she's looking at other kids and comparing herself to them well well, what i found really interesting about this early part of her life um because she does get into like the the hollywood of it all and um because I didn't know about the whole principal actors and like the background actors. Like there's like, there were like three layers. Like one was like a um, kid actors who were just casted for the background. Uh, the second one was kid actors who had maybe like a small moment. Yeah. And the third was principal kid actors who could actually like act and have lines, you know? And uh, for the longest time, uh, Jeanette and her mother are working for her to be a principal actor. Yeah. They're um, like really banking on this and her mom's driving her out. It's like a far drive too, to all these auditions and to these like agencies and trying to get her daughter son. And she's taking her on these long ass drives every day, you know, really trying to 
make her daughter a star. Let's talk about Helix Sleep for a second, shall we? Let's do it. Yeah, Helix Sleep is sponsoring today's episode. As always, really thank you. And uh, let's talk about our mattress, our, our wonderful Helix Sleep king size mattress, one of two that we have. Because we also have a queen size of the same exact mattress. We got the king size because we need more space for our French Activities. bulldog. Um, <laughs> or, Activities or, 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 or for thing. the English bulldog. It, it, yeah. it, it just been so nice for us. Um to have this place to sleep. So it's like, it's honestly my favorite place in the house. Helix is a premium mattress and a box company that makes beds to fit your unique sleep style. Helix knows that everybody is different and everybody has their own unique needs. And so they've made a sleep quiz that'll match you with your perfect mattress based on your needs. I am an all over sleeper. Alistair is more of a side sleeper. He likes a firm mattress. I like, uh, you know, more medium. We took the quiz together and we got the Midnight Mattress. And one of the best parts about Helix is that they deliver the mattress right to your door for free. It comes rolled up in a box and is super easy to set up yourself. And if it makes you nervous to buy something online that you haven't tried, Helix has a 100 night sleep trial so you get more than 3 months to make sure that you absolutely love it. And if you don't, They'll pick it up for you and you'll get a full refund. If you or somebody you know is in the market for a new mattress and you think that Helix Lounge is right for you, you can go to helixsleep.com slash tequila where you can get up to $200 off of your mattress and two free pillows. So Jeanette really is trying to find her own it factor. As a child, she's trying to look for an it factor about herself, which is already super toxic anyway. And uh, she learns that she can cry like better than anybody else. But like, how does she, how is she able to cry? Right? Okay. Is they have to like beat these horrible fucking like alternate scenarios into her head. Like what if grandpa was dying and was holding your stuffed animal or something like this? The, or, or what if your brothers were dying? What if your, your brother could have died? And like, they're telling her these horrible things. Her mother is telling her these horrible things to get her to cry. Well, and the acting coach. And it ends up working, right? But like, at what cost is that? Jeanette's having to like play these 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 scenarios that are not real in her head over and over again to make herself cry. But she does, and it that becomes her thing, and that's the thing that like throughout Hollywood, everybody's talking about is she's the kid who can cry, cry. the girl who can cry, and she she can cry on demand, and not just cry with. um, They make a very clear distinct uh, distinction that there's the criers like Dakota Fanning who can like have tears well up in your eyes, um, but you want the you want to be the crier that has the. the tears uh, streaking down Streak your face down. and Jeanette can do that. I can also do that. Can you? Yeah. Yes. I can cry. cry so we do a cry off at the end of this and see, see what memories. I don't we can, feel like crying right now. What dark memories we can see. You can cry. I, I suspect that about you sometimes. I think you put, make yourself cry. No, no, but I do cry a lot. I don't cry a lot because I'm a baby or anything. I cry a lot because I've watched sad movies. It, it, it's not, it doesn't even have to be a sad movie, just any movie. He will cry at any movie. I will not. Anyways. Um, but um, at one point, so she goes into this audition and she's supposed to, she's supposed to cry or was it an audition or is she filming something? It was an audition. Okay. And she is supposed to cry and she just cannot, like there's just this wall that she, she's not able to do it and she's been able to do it. Every other time, you know, and like whenever she can do it on, on, on cue. And then when the, the take is done, they tell her, do it again. And she does it again. But for some reason, this time, she, this audition, she just cannot make herself cry. And so she's really beating herself up in her mind about this. And like, ah, I just, this is terrible. I, I really messed up this time. This is it's just really beating herself up. And so on the drive home, she tells her mom and she doesn't even really mean to say it. She just kind of was thinking it and it came out and she says, I don't really want to, I don't really want to be an actor. I don't want to act anymore 
and the mom has this like almost like at the beginning of a full meltdown where she starts hitting the steering wheel. She starts crying and she's like, you're so good at it. And like making Jeanette feel bad. So that Jeanette is like, she completely takes it back, she completely takes it back. And she's like, I was just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And that's what her mother does. Like with everything, she's always making her feel bad. If there's, there's, she's always using these manipulation tactics on her kids. And so I wonder with her mother, like there's clearly something wrong with her mother in this book. Um, like mental health wise, she's clearly got some mental health issues of her own. Oh yeah, so I've I've actually been thinking about this a lot, and I'm kind of curious about her how her mother grew up. It's, well, that's uh, what I was thinking you know? too, because her mom learned it from somewhere. It seems like her mom learned this tactic from somewhere. But if you recall, the grandmother is also very manipulative. Was the grandmother her mother, or is that his mother? I think it's her mother. However, okay, so she yeah. learned it from somewhere because she. It seems like every, she does this so often, and she does this just without even thinking that, like these manipulation tactics. That I don't even know if she realized that she was doing it, or that it was bad, or that it was in any way, shape, or form wrong that she was doing that. I think she just did it, and that was her natural instinct to do that, and. Because I think she just learned early on that that's how you get your way, right? Is that you just kind of do that. Um, and there's never any sort of reckoning. There's never any sort of like come to Jesus understanding moment where anybody tells her like, you can't do that. You need to, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. It would have been wonderful for Jeanette to like have gone to therapy and brought her mom. But I think even if that would have happened, you know, the mom would have been like turned it back around and started crying or something like that. You know, I just think there was no way out for Jeanette. Especially at this point, like your entire life is dictated by, by this, right? Yeah. Especially when you become the breadwinner at that age, everything is just very much reliant on you. And you can tell at this point, especially as, as a child, she gains her happiness from her mother's happiness. Yes. You know? And that's the, so she, sad. She's very emotionally linked she's to always her mother. trying to get her. She, cause she, this is a perfect through line is she in turn learns how to manipulate her own mother because she learns how to manipulate her mother into a good mood. Right. Cause mm-hmm. she doesn't want her to see her mom have a breakdown. She wants to avoid the breakdown. So she knows how to kind of manipulate and, 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 and change, you know, her whole attitude, like put on the bright smile and like get her mom. Hey mom, play that CD we really like we'll sing together you know and so she's it's learned behavior you know it's being it's cyclical 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 cyclic Cycl- <laughs> i don't know <laughs> this ain't the brain podcast guys um it, it, it just, happens it's generation to generation and i think it just it is learned um so jeanette ends up booking icarly uh when she's like you know like i'm, I'm assuming like 13 14 15 years 14? old i think 14 okay yeah it, so yeah, it, it's it, it's a very big deal. It is a big because deal. Because it's the first time she's getting to be a series regular on a show. Um, she's not getting royalties, though. And this um, show was created by Dan Schneider. And at the time, Dan Schneider was like king of Nickelodeon. Like, he was creating all of these shows that were just so big and that could not fail. And Miranda Cosgrove, this was Miranda Cosgrove's, like, starring vehicle show. She came off of Drake and Josh. And when Drake and Josh ended, like, they knew they were going to give her her own show. She was, like, the darling of Nickelodeon at the time. I so they, she was on Drake and Josh. Oh, she, yeah. Megan? Yes. Did you watch Drake and Josh? No. No? No. That was our age. That was yeah, uh, I didn't watch that. that. Was, uh, what were you watching? Telenovelas? Uh, I watched Chavo del Ocho. Okay. I watched Dragon Ball Z. What about Drake and Dr- Drake uh, and Dolls? Project Gotham. 
What is? How no, do you say no, Drake no, and no, Josh in Spanish with the accent? Raque y Josh. Yeah, so the, uh, Miranda Cosgrove was like the darling of Josh Nickelodeon, and so she gets iCarly, and so and then um, Jeanette McCurdy gets cast on iCarly, so it's instantly like this really really big show, you know. And this show uh, gives her family financial stability they're able to pay their bills they don't have to like miss any payments the mom is always up to date on her payments um the mom will take uh miranda's salary or, or not Miranda. <laughs> the mom's taking miranda's salary the mom's yes. taking Jeanette's salary and uh and and you know putting it towards bills and everything they need and like really like keeping themselves afloat and comfortable and then Jeanette gets like the scraps right and she gets to go off and like spend her money on you know the, uh, she, you know, she does, does get the I mean, she does get little of it. Mm-hmm. However, unlike a lot of like issues between uh, childhood uh, child stars and their parents, there doesn't seem to be as much financial strain. There does seem to be a little bit of finan- financial strain and like financial expectancy, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem to be like a cornerstone of their relationship. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Um, like it doesn't seem like Jeanette resents her mother for finances. Uh, more so for how her mother manipulated her. Also, let's talk about the fact that at this point, um, Jeanette has gained all of her emotional stability or emotional instability, however you can put that, uh, through her relationship with her mother and maybe a somewhat relationship with her family, but she doesn't seem as connected with her siblings. She definitely doesn't seem as connected with her father. She talks about that a lot. Oh yeah. The father's like a big one is like her. She does have a dad and her dad is in her life, but she does remark that her dad is, he doesn't just like there, but very absent, right? Like he doesn't have really any involvement with them. He doesn't really like bond with them or anything like that. I related to that one a lot actually, because my dad always like, my dad was always there. You know, unless like we were in and out of the house, my dad was there, but he wasn't um, there. But like, I never would bond with my dad. The only times I ever bonded with my dad was when he would take me to see like scary movies, and that's where my love of scary movies came from. But like, we never did anything. You know, he didn't teach me how to like play ball or anything like that. He didn't teach me how to play football. Um, he he didn't really take any interest in anything we would we would do. You know, um, and I so I get that. I totally understand that, um, and. Jeanette's brothers, you know, I think which one was the one that her mom said, oh, like she actively told her, you're not my favorite. You're my least favorite or I don't remember, honestly, uh, in terms of like uh, her brothers, but there definitely seems to be like a a disconnect family wise. Also, she's like her mother's favorite. Her mother, like, you know, devotes all of her attention with her. So there's obviously going to be a disconnect with your siblings um, if something like that happens. So when she does move to iCarly, and she surrounds herself with a regular cast that starts becoming kind of a found family. Yeah, she's um, like a chosen family. Yeah, w- w- where she can get emotional stability in a circle that isn't her mom. She develops a really close friendship with Miranda Cosgrove. Um, like at the, the, at the during the f- filming of the pilot, she really wants to be friends with Miranda. She doesn't have any friends. That's the thing. She doesn't have friends like like outside of her mother. <laughs> She's always with her mother. Mm-hmm. And so when she finally gets cast on this project, you know, Miranda sends her this gift basket with like a hundred dollar gift card to the movies, you know, and mm-hmm. like different things. And, and, um, Jeanette sends her gift basket back, but it's like a journal and like a stuffed animal. Cause her mom mm-hmm. won't let her get anything else. Um, and 
Uh, she really wants to, she's like yearning for this friendship with somebody. This is the only other girl on the cast. They're like the two main girls acting together. She really wants to be friends with her. And so finally they start chatting on like AOM Messenger, or uh, yeah, AOL Messenger. AOL. And they they develop a friendship and they develop a really close friendship. And that's actually my favorite part of the whole book is seeing their friendship throughout. Yeah, I didn't know how close they actually yeah. were. Cause I didn't either. I, 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 I always see like, especially, and I, I feel like there's a Hollywood stigma in terms of like women who act together who aren't like actually friendly towards each other. I'm not, there's always reports about that, right? It's yeah, like there's that, always reports. There's always on set beef. And it just seems like from interviews and from this book and from, it just seems like Miranda Cosgrove is just a really good person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, genuine. And they, and they still have a very good friendship at this point. She develops this friendship with Miranda, even though the mom is kind of, discouraging that she doesn't really want her, her her daughter having this friendship with Miranda. Because she's not a Christian. I didn't realize that Miranda Cosgrove was cussing on Zed. <laughs> she, she really said she's not a Christian. She's not a Christian. <laughs> so um Jeanette McCurdy was making about fifty I read from the internet um, that Jeanette McCurdy was making about fifty thousand dollars an episode for iCarly. So uh and there was ninety seven episodes so she would have made throughout the series about four million eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars off of iCarly her I call it iCarly salary. Now we learned that Jeanette has like this whole team of people and I don't understand why she has so many people. Well, she, she doesn't understand why she has so many two people. Two managers, like two agents, like doubles of everything PR that you would people. have. Right. Yeah. And it's like doubles of everything. It's not just one person. Because I, I totally understand that like these people, these actors need these people in their lives because these are the people who have the know-how to put out, um, to put you up for roles and to call like producers and to like, you know, they, they know how to operate this business and they have all of the connections. And so you need somebody like that, but then you're a huge chunk of your paycheck is going to, most people just have, you know, singles of those. Um, what? I'm just having an epiphany. Right Are you now. having an epiphany? What is your epiphany? Uh, gosh, what, what was the actress from Euphoria who was just talking about Sydney Sweeney? This is what I'm leading into. Um, yes. Okay, so we're having an epiphany yes. about the same thing. Okay. So continue, these people continue. need like a team, right? But then you think about like so for almost five million dollars that she would have made during the course of the series on iCarly, that being divided up however many ways, plus like the tax, the tax taxes you have to pay on that. It's just like they were comfortable, but she wasn't, you know boatloads of truckloads of money you know it just wasn't like that um sydney sweeney who's in euphoria actually and she was in white lotus as well actually um did an article not too long ago where she was talking about this and she was like oh, yeah i can't and a lot of people took it like she was they were reading the headlines and taking it more as a she's complaining about complaining about this but she was just not being, being honest able to take six months off of work she was just being honest she's like yeah i can't really take six months off of off of acting because i can't do that i either. have to pay my mortgage i have to pay like these things and like by the time i get my paycheck from doing these projects from a project it gets divided up so many ways that I don't have enough that like, I just, I have to always be working, you know? Well, I'll do- and I thought that was like such a, a breath of fresh air that she would say that and she would come out and like speak about that because I, I'm always curious about the money stuff, right? So I'll be honest. I think that uh, people take advantage of, and, 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 and it's always like, Oh, we'll be me because they're like actors and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, I do think people take advantage of the fact that, they're like, oh yeah, you need a team. You need this. You need that. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, they're like writing like a one sentence Twitter and getting paid like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, like a lot of these people have social media managers mm-hmm. who will go on and post on social media for them. And I'm just in my brain as a, as a YouTuber who does not af- can afford to like a team like that, right? I have to learn how to do everything myself. But 
that's such a big business that you can't learn how to do everything yourself, right? And then you have to show up on set, and then you have to like make sure you're there and you're acting and you're doing all of, or like as you're as a musician, like you have a job to do. So you need people to do that stuff for you, right? To put you out for the roles and to like broker your deals and like. So it makes sense, but it's also like kind of mind blowing how much money they spend on teams, and well, the fact that she had two fucking managers and like doubles of all of her team. I'll be honest; it's giving mini conservatorship <laughs> a little bit. And she would like get on a call with all of them at the same time. They were always on a call together. They'd wait till like all twenty members were on the call with her, and then give her like news and stuff like that. So she's on iCarly for about six seasons, um, and, and during that time, she is like still going through her eating disorder. She's really like watching her way. Going through anorexia, bulimia. And her character, if you've ever seen Carly, her character is like a really rough and tumble character. Um, It's actually like... Loves food. Who loves food. She's always eating. I feel like this was really fucked up of Dan Schneider. And I think Dan Schneider did this on purpose. Because Sam Puckett is who she played, and she's always eating. She's, like, from a rougher side of town. She's always trying to get in fights, and she has a horrible relationship with her own mother and is always talking about that. That seems, like, too on the nose to be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And Dan Snyder is another, like, shady character in this whole thing because there's a lot of... If you, we'd have to she doesn't name him. She calls him the creator. The creator, but we all know she's talking about Dan Schneider. Um, and Dan Schneider was actually, like, quietly removed from Nickelodeon not too long ago mm-hmm. because there was just too many things. With, Do you know anything about Dan Schneider? Do you I, know any of these stories? So I've, I, I saw it, like, briefly when stuff was coming out. Mostly about the feet stuff. So there's like, um, I think that was one of the ones that like just grabbed the headlines just because it was it was more salacious, weird. right? And weird. Um, but there's he has a lot of really shady like business practices and and the kind of the way he, he tries to pit shows against shows and, and uh, the cast members against cast members because it was very clear that he was pitting iCarly cast against like Victoria cast. Kind of sounds like the boy band yeah. thing. Yeah, um, and so he also would like isolate certain stars so like with iCarly he would go and take uh, Jeanette and her mother out to lunch and would tell her you know what you were just like the best thing on the show I we I, th- I see you winning an Oscar one day how would you like your own show we'll call it Just Puck It I thought that was genius by the way just Puck it. <laughs> I was like that would be a really funny name for a show but she, he's like at the end of iCarly you know we'll have to wait a while but I think you deserve your own show and so Jeanette really like theorizes that he was doing this to kind of um because he also follows it up with just make sure that you just stay under my wing. You listen to everything I say, you do everything I say to do. And that's the catch. And, and you'll have your own show in a couple of years. And so Jeanette is like, this is his way of making me submissive. Right. So that I'll fall in line. And I wonder if he's also telling this to the other cast members to kind of yeah, like she's very pit no- us against each other. Jeanette knows when she's being manipulated mm-hmm. at this point. Dan Schneider is a shitty, shitty dude. And he, the way he treated children was awful. So, um, uh, in this book, she says that he even like berated a six-year-old or something like that, um, little guest star. Yeah, he, he and kicked him off the set. Yeah, in Zoe One Hundred One, there was a girl named Alexa Nicholas who was on the first season of Zoe One Hundred One, and uh, she had a lot of tension with uh, with Jamie Lynn Spears, who was the star of the show. But like Alexa Nicholas was like you know played her best friend, so like they were pretty close there. Um, and at one point, Alexa Nicholas says that she was being bullied by, like, Jamie Lynn Spears on set. And so she went up to the higher-ups, to the heads of Nickelodeon, says, hey, I'm being bullied. Her mom says, she, my daughter's being bullied. And Dan Schneider pulled her into a room by herself and, like, berated her and yelled at her and said, is this show called Alexa number 101 or is it called Zoe 101? Is it called – it's not called your character, is it? You're not the star, so you need to shut up and you need to just go and get to work. 
Dan Schneider does that shit. That's that's the stuff that he does. So yeah, the feet stuff are also really weird and like more out there. Um, but even behind the scenes, it gets seedier and seedier. There's a scene in here where he takes her to dinner. She's 18 years old, and he's trying to like get her to start drinking with drunk. him. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's rumors on the Victoria cast uh, with the Victoria. He says that the Victoria cast drink all the time and that he wants the Carly cast to start drinking. So there's rumors with the Victoria cast that there's one cast member specifically who Dan Schneider was probably giving alcohol to and like kind of getting him drunk all the time. Um, and you just wonder like how deep does that go and which kind of bigger names are keeping hush about it all, you know, because they maybe, I don't know, benefited the most and maybe it's like are also, not ready to talk also, about something like that. Who let it happen if their parents knew what was happening, but they let it happen anyways because they did were scared about their kids not having the success. Um, it's, it's a really, and I think that maybe over time we'll hear more about this. Maybe there'll yeah. be like a, an actual expose um, on it at some point. It's a really dark 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 like road to go down um and and nickelodeon benched him at one point i think what were you saying about um uh, he he wasn't allowed on set right yeah no he yeah yeah he wasn't allowed on, on the sound stage like he was like in the background um of it for a little bit when she was filming sam and cat with um her co-star ariana grande because remember we just talked about uh just pocket yeah she did she did six seasons of iCarly and she didn't get her own show just pocket like she was supposed to she instead got paired with ariana grande from victorious who i'm, I'm sure was told was gonna get her own show probably and and he, and he was like two stones one bus the um, um however the, the saying goes what i really liked about how Jeanette mccurdy talks about the stuff is she's like very frank about it yes um yeah uh, she talks very frankly, and it doesn't seem malicious at all about her jealousy towards Ariana Grande and how Ariana Grande was treated on the show versus how she was treated. Uh, because Ariana Grande was, you know, she came from, she was on Victorious, right? Yeah, she was on Victorious, um, and she had already come from money. Like, Ariana Grande came from, like, she was not. She did not come from humble, humble upbringings. Um, she had a fairly good shot in this in this business, and she could sing really well. And so, like her career trajectory is already starting to skyrocket, right? Like it's already it did, while she's on yeah. the Sam and Cat show, and she, and she's going more music than anything else. So she's like uh, doing performances, getting time off to do performances. There was one episode uh, where she, uh, she was like, like in a box the entire time and Jeanette had to like act towards the box because, um, yeah, because Ariana Grande was performing at the billboard music awards. And so yes. like, say, uh, Jeanette McCurdy is like really honest about it. And she's like, I was pissed because I'm having to act opposite this box and I have to turn down movies because I have to do this show. But meanwhile, Ariana Grande is like, they write her whole damn character into a box so she can go and do whatever she wants. Um, and I really, I think I agree with you that I, I, I really enjoy the way Jeanette talks about stuff like that because she's not vilifying Ariana, Ariana. Grande. She's yeah. like being very honest that like, she wasn't I was coming the to this respect. boiling point, right? Yeah. And I was really upset and, you know, I was not being given... I was not being treated fairly. I didn't have the show I was supposed to have. I was supposed to have this directing episode that they didn't give me. That they they I was supposed to be able to direct one episode of this entire thirty five episodes, and they took that away from me too. And uh, my mom had that always was a big thing too. Oh yeah. my gosh, because she wanted to kind of like step out of where she was at. Yeah, I mean, it gives, and she's an adult now. She wants yeah. different opportunities, and so she says that she is just you know had always been taught by her mother to 
be agreeable, be the good sport, go along with it, you know, really like just do what they want you to do and don't be difficult. You don't want to be labeled difficult, right? Um, and Jeanette McCurdy starts to like buck against this now and she's like starts to be resentful towards having to be the good girl on set um, and, st and being treated this way and she starts to become resentful of her mother. Um, this is like really the time period where she starts really resenting how her mother kind of like plays victim all the time. Really, her mother decides for her that she's going to use this time to become a country music star. And so she flies out to Nashville um, and she starts recording for labels and stuff like that. And um, uh, her mo mother's in a very emotional state because we find out that her mother, the cancer is back at this point. Yeah. So she's not. This for the first time in uh, Jeanette McCurdy's life, she's not going to be stuck to her mother, and this is like kind of exciting, kind of scary for her. And um, the resentment really grows, and her anorexia uh, without her mother there turns into a binge eating uh, slash bulimia disorder. And this is when we really see her recognize the harm that her mother's done. Well, she starts because she is separated from her mother and she's starting to grow up and she's becoming an adult and, and she's able to sort of start seeing that this annoys me about my mom, this annoys me about my mom, this annoys me about my mom. And she maybe cannot really articulate why it's annoying her that her mom is like counting her calories or like telling her she's fat or like telling her she looks chunky on this trip or that trip. You know, she can't really like, she's not there yet at the point of understanding why she's feeling resentment towards her mom. She just is. It just is a state of being, you know? Um, and it seems like every time she starts to have a little bit of understanding of her own self and her own identity, because remember, she started as a child a star who was an identity was put on her. She doesn't know her identity. So she's like little by little starting to figure it out. And when she starts doing that, then something negative always happens, right? And so there's that cause and effect that starts to scare her and that, you know, she goes off, she starts doing her own thing. She's flying back and forth between filming iCarly and, and, and on tour and promoting a, like a music career. And, and she's like working all the time. And it's positive work because she's getting to do some stuff she wants to do and off on her own. But then because she does that, her mom gets cancer. And it's like this really bad cause and effect that she that makes her feel a lot of guilt, you know? Well, and, 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 and during this time, she she also has like very, I'd say interesting relationships. Um, she had an, a, a relationship with a man uh, who worked on what, iCarly? That um, one was so weird too. She was, was like weird. 18 or 19 years old and there was a crew member on iCarly who was like 32 years old and he was married. He'd been married for like five years and he... Uh, like starts an affair with Jeanette McCurdy. I don't. I didn't understand in the hotel part. There's a part where they go to a hotel together, and he like flops back on the bed and like covers his face, and he's like, ah, oh, five years of marriage down the tubes. Like, so did he leave his wife for Jeanette? Yeah. So Is he, that what happened? Uh, they were having an affair, and then he left okay. his wife for Jeanette, and he tried to use that as leverage to get Jeanette to lose her, her virginity to him, and she said, he's like, why am I no. doing this if? you don't even sleep with me. You don't even have sex with me. You won't even do this. Um, and she's like, I'm just not ready for that. And he's like, you won't even give me a blowjob. What about a blowjob at least? And so she finally does that and starts, you know, giving him something, a little bit of oral sex because she wants to keep him, right? Like she doesn't want um, to let him go. And she's also like using this relationship to sneak around because she, she usually, I love this, that she has like two sleepovers like a month with Miranda Cosgrove and they just have like sleepovers together. Um, and one of those sleepovers, she doesn't really go to Miranda Cosgrove's house. She tells her mom she's going to do that, and she, like, leaves to go off with this guy. And the mom is like, you're a liar. You're, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to figure it out. She's like, you're a whore. You're a whore, aren't you? Well, it's, 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 it's interesting because it's every time that she grows close to uh, another man. Another who, 
there isn't a gay man rule. Yeah. So uh, there's also one incident where uh, Jeanette McCurdy and her boyfriend uh, decide to go to Hawaii. And so she she plays it as she's going to Hawaii with her gay friend, right? She's like, oh, look, you know. Is that what uh, she said? I, yes. didn't, I don't know why she yes. was going to Hawaii. You know what I found so like, really cool, though, is that Nickelodeon gives all of the stars like a week's paid vacation to Hawaii just, you know, as part of their contract. Um, oh, was that really? It? Yes, yeah. that came from Nickelodeon. It was like paid for by Nickelodeon. So she takes the <laughs> fucking iCarly crew member that she's dating, the damn 32 year old. Um, and there's a, what? There's, they're, they're like paddle boarding at the beach one one day and, and uh, they notice a paparazzi. And then, like, very next day, just pictures all over the internet of Jeanette McCurdy and, and this older man. And she has like so many missed calls from her mother. Oh, she checks her phone. She and her mother's like, beat. You're a whore. She's like, You're a whore. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and I, she's like, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm gonna write this letter and I'm gonna post it on this Jeanette McCurdy fan zut. And she does and it too. She said, "You don't deserve your fans. I should have all of your fans. I'm gonna take your fans. You know what? If I join Vine, I'm funnier than you. They'll love me." Why does this remind me of uh, the witch episode of Buffy? Oh my gosh, God! But like, she actually does it too. She like Jeanette McCurdy. Sure enough, goes to like the Jeanette McCurdy fan website and there's like a big scathing message from her mother there mm-hmm. that's like Jeanette's a whore. <laughs> Um, and Jeanette just like goes full spiral. She's like, oh, you know, I, I, she just can't even, she can't do anything. You know, maybe it's not a good decision for her to go and gallivant with this, uh, this, uh, 32 year old, 32 year old, I Carly crew member. She, she's going to make her own decisions. She's an adult and she is making her own decisions and that's her decision to make. Right. Like mm-hmm. she's, she doesn't have any fault here so but her mother is just like so irate with her about this right she moves into her first flat <gasps> her house it's a house yes she gets a whole house i saved it you want to see it you want to see her house i do want to see it mm-hmm. and while you you bring it up she gets a three-story like it's pretty that's nice it is well, pretty. It, 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 and she kind of does it because she's like that's what you do you know when you, you become yeah. successful she gets a house and because well, everybody tells she, her it's like a good investment right you need yeah. an investment property that's then turnkey and it's not turnkey <laughs> Let me tell you, we have some experience with that too. So we empathized, Jenna. Uh, and you move in and you just have all these problems that you immediately oh start, have to start fixing. I love that and house, it, it, buddy, it, but it, it was it was. A, and a she lot. was right. Being a homeowner is like another job, really. Um, but uh, her mother, you know, comes over once and she asks, "Hey, can I stay the night?" <laughs> and she immediately has so much dread because she knows that if she says yes, that means that her mother's gonna move in move in with her mm. which is exactly what happens yeah and basically her mom just doesn't leave you know her mom just doesn't leave her mom just but at this time her mom is just getting sicker and sicker and sicker you know um she has this cancer and it really is eating away at her her mom's definitely like playing it up for all the all the pity that she can get you know um but her mom dies well, yeah, her mom dies. Her mom eventually moves out of the house because she has to be near her doctors. And then there are so many death scares really over the years. She has like different um, different seizures and, and, and such. There's one time where she ends up in a coma and they think she's going to die. They think she has, what, 48 hours or so. And so they're all sitting by her, her, her bed. Jeanette is like spiraling into her eating disorder. She's like losing weight rapidly. Anything she eats, she'll like shovel food into her mouth and then throw it all back up. Um, and it's really just she's abusing her body so much at this point. And 
it's so wild that even when her mom is in the coma to wake her mom up, she says, Mom, I'm finally at the perfect weight. I'm at, I don't remember I what it was. She said 80 something 80 pounds. 80 something pounds to try to crazy. wake her mother up because she's like, if anything will wake mom up, it'll be me being at 80 something pounds. Um, the other one is when she actually goes, um, she goes cold. Mm. Um, and it's like such a, I don't know, like I, I've, I've definitely... It was, I wasn't expecting her mom to die at that point in the book. I, I was, cause I was reading that chapter and it seemed so kind of casual that she was like, they were just sitting around her and then her mom just kind of like goes. Well, she, she didn't think that she was going to die either. At that moment. Yeah. Because she was like, um, she just gotten up late, um, for like, she was supposed to fly out to New York for Nickelodeon or something. And then her dad calls her and says, Hey, um, your mom's going to pass. She's like, oh, she's not going to pass. You know, we've had these scares before. But even then, um, you know what was funny is when she gets to the damn hospital and she's like sitting by her mother's bedside and she gets a text from some guy she's talking to. And he says, uh, she, he, he, he says, I don't know. He's like, come over he Betty, or something her. like that. And she's like, I'm with my mom. She's really sick. Um, she might pass. And he's like, she's not going to die, baby. Um, or something like that. And then she, she dies she and he did. goes back to the text. She goes back to the text message and she replies, um, she, she just, just did. did. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Like, that's the kind of humor in this. That's the really dark humor, but it's, she's funny. Yeah, she she's is. like delivering these like little anecdotes in, in such a, a way that it is comedy. Um, and, really, and, really dark and, comedy, but. And even through the comedy, uh, what's, which is interesting is that you still feel the layers of emotion. Yeah. Uh, with that happened around this death. Like she's not, especially even right now, even I, honestly, I don't even think throughout the entire book, she really villainizes her mom. She just like speaks very frankly. And this is oh, the woman, the person that's meant the most in her life, but has also caused her the most harm at the same time. And you can see the co conflict there. And so shortly after her mother does die, she really does spiral hardcore into that eating disorder. You know, she's drinking, to her first time drinking is even you know she realizes she loves the feeling of being drunk and like being so carefree and her first time drinking she's like this is the best night of my life because i just completely was uninhibited and it's the first time ever that i've been and, like and, that. and you can tell she's young and drinking because she's like and i didn't even have hangovers for yeah. like the first seven days i was drinking in a row they just like <laughs> take shots and they're like i don't feel it <laughs> i was shot. like she because i, I was you're you're I'm sorry, but if you ever start drinking, don't think that you're immediately going to get drunk from a shot. Yeah, like, but that's not... but the thing is, like, she had she had been this big stress ball of anxiety her whole life, and she but finally letting go feels like happiness and like it was able to do that. So she's like coping with all of her anxieties and everything in such the wrong ways. And her mom's not there, so she is really missing her mom, and she's not really understanding that her her trauma ties to her mom and her abuse ties to her mom. You know, she like recognizes that something wasn't right with her mom and that her mom was not perfect. But um she goes to a therapist at one point because she's dating this guy named Stephen. He is uh, why does she go to the therapist? He wants her to go to the therapist, right? Because yes, of her eating disorder. He wants her to go to the therapist. Because he figures out that she's got an eating disorder. And so he asked her to go to the therapist. She goes to the therapist and the therapist asking her different questions about her, her upbringing. And she's like, she starts asking her questions about her mom. And she's like, my mom wasn't perfect, but my mom was, or no, she says my mom was perfect. My mom was perfect. There was nothing wrong with my mom, she, you know? She wasn't um, ready to face the reality. Yet. And, and she tells the therapist the story about like um, her breasts coming in and her mom, you know, telling her to start counting calories to get rid of her breasts. And the therapist like, yeah, that's not 
good. And so she like completely cuts that therapist out. She doesn't never go. She never goes back to that therapist again. Um, but that is like the starting a moment of like realization for her because she ends up uh, with with another like kind of eating specialist. I don't know remember what his name was. Um, his, yeah, like did, title, did, his did, job did. title. I, I don't remember anymore, but I know he was an eating disorder. He was helping her like get over her eating disorder. And this the one of one of the best parts, the takeaways that I, I got from this book is actually came during that part where uh, because I have an eating disorder. <laughs> I've never told anybody this, but I have body dysmorphia. <laughs> um, We're not laughing at. I have, was a quote. We, I, I, I definitely have an eating disorder. Um, I'm not going to speak for you, but I feel like we might both have an eating disorder where uh, we binge eat to hell. We do. When we we stress eat, we sad eat, we any sort of negative emotion, it's a straight to food, and we definitely enable each other with that. Um, and so, where is it? It's about the slipping and sliding. Do you know what I'm talking about? I. Okay. It, so but. yeah, so the the um, eating specialist tells her, and he has got this whole spiel, and she like doesn't really buy it. But then when he says it, she's like, oh, something clicked. Even though I didn't want it to click, that it's okay to slip up. It's okay to slip up. As you just have to keep yourself from sliding, right? You have to recognize that that's a slip. It's a slip up. Whatever. Just try again. Okay. You just don't want to get into the point. And so this is kind of where I relate to it. Is like. Um, if I'm trying not to binge eat and I end up having a moment where I binge eat to hell, that's my slip up. But if I turn that into like a week straight of binge eating, that's my slot, you know, and you don't want to do the slot. Which is honestly like a mindset that I think that we've been in. Yeah. Like, we've already, we've already slipped. We might as well slide. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we'll, we'll stop sliding next week. Okay. There has to be an end of this slot at some point. No more slipping slot. Um, and just like, that was a real moment that I was like, I really took away from that. And I, I like wrote a whole note down about it. And I was like, yeah, I gotta remember that. Cause it, it is okay to slip up. Whatever you're trying to get over, you know, a nail body, like, it's it, it's okay to slip up. Just like you have to keep trying. You can't just like take that slip up, turn it into a slide, and be like, "Well, I might as well not even try at this point." You know, you really you have to keep going. Which is a mindset that that is hard to get away from. So she's like getting herself together. She's getting her shit together. She's kind of beating this thing for a little bit. It seems like like she's she's understanding, which is which is the the kind of moment of realization for her is that she's understanding now why she's got these eating disorder problems and why she's and what she needs to do to kind of get over them. And she's like understanding that and taking that and using it into practice. Um, meanwhile, she's got this boyfriend who at some point decides to quit acting and decides that just Jesus is the way. And he becomes super fanatical about religion. No, and, he is Jesus. And then he believes he is Jesus. <laughs> he is Jesus. <laughs> this comes at like, she never gets a damn break because this comes at right at the time where uh, she learns that her dad is not her actual dad. He like tells her, that was such a wild twist, too. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. He's like, oh, I'm not your father. Um, actually, the three of you, my children, I'm neither, none of your father. I was sitting there trying to do the math. I was like, so I don't understand. Were they, they were married this, all of their lives. When did, so, was this three well, separate well, affairs? Yeah. Was it three different men? Was it the same man? Or open, or, yeah, I don't no, get it. We, we do not really know. Mm. Um, she doesn't. She was like, this is an intense thing that happened, which is still related to, to her mom yeah. because, you know, it's something her mom kept from her. Uh, but it does it isn't something that she goes into as much as she does with everything else. Yeah. And the next and one she kind will of be like, like, has to just, I'm glad I finally <laughs> met my dad. <laughs> she kind of has to like just brush this one off because she's like, this is intense. And then she goes to her boyfriend, Stephen, to tell him. To and she, she's like... I need to tell you something. It's really big. And he's like, I have to tell you something. It's really big. She's like, just go first because I'm, I promise you this one's bigger. And he's like, okay, 
I am Jesus Christ reincarnated. And she's like, fuck, I cannot even tell him about my... (laughs) She's like, good luck to you. She's like, let somebody know about him. And then he like ends up having to go into like... She finds him To go get help. She doesn't just like abandon him, but he ends up going to get help. Gets like put on lithium. He like jokes about it. I can't believe I was Jesus. But ends up spiraling backwards himself. Like he refuses to work. He thinks that working is always a waste of his life. He smokes, sits around and smokes weed all the time. Meanwhile, she's making... um, forward motion she's making progress in her own like you know backsliding and uh they're just not compatible anymore and so that's a relationship that just doesn't work you know it it doesn't work but i think that that relationship especially for her served its purpose you know because sometimes you can have relationships in your life yeah where it's less so uh the it's 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 a good place where you were at not a place you still want to be at you know yeah and uh, I think she had that. And uh, during this time that she was with him, I think she actually met him on set uh, of her uh, Netflix show. Yeah, this was right yeah. after like Sam and Cat, right? So she got, yeah. she got it. She was she booked a Netflix show, and she that they were like filming in Canada. And I think that's how they met. Yeah, and, and they did two seasons of the Netflix show, and then um, the, like we were talking about the whole team. Oh my gosh, the whole, the whole team, team gets on a call, and it gets on a call, and they're like, "Hey, um, they're not going to renew it for the third season." And this was almost a relief for her because she was like, I'd already mentally made the, the, the decision that if they renewed it, I would stay for another third season. Mm-hmm. If they didn't, I was going to take a break from yeah. acting. And she says, which so I want to take a retiring. She says, I want to take a break from, from acting. And she kind of already knows that this is going to be her retirement. She yeah. doesn't want to do this anymore. And so they're like, oh, okay. And then not too long after this, they like drop her. And it seems like they, oh my God, we didn't even like, okay. So it seems like her team just, I mean, I guess this is for most Hollywood teams that they just want money, right? They're going to squeeze their star oh, yeah. for money. Um, because we totally glossed over the fact that Nickelodeon was trying to offer her at the end of Sam and Cat $300,000 not to talk about her experiences with Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah. Probably because of Dan Schneider. And her team was like really pushing her to take this money and th- because they would have all got a cut of it, right? It would have been $300,000. And they're like, it's a lot of money. But divided how many ways and with how many tax taxes take out and out of it right it would have been nothing so that team just like did not have her best interest at heart it didn't not at all not at all and they didn't care about her and as soon as she's retired from acting they just drop her and she has to go get a new manager right one that probably she's got a single manager now and she doesn't have to pay this entire fucking team for for all of this stuff because they look at her as like this washed up child star who's not going to get to go and work anymore and so um I'm glad she retired because it seems like that was causing her a lot of stress. The same role really caused her a lot of stress. Um, but she did get like a really good friendship out of it and a friendship with Miranda Cosgrove. I really love this whole friendship throughout this whole book. Um, when Sam, uh, I'm about to call her Sam, that'd be terrible. Don't listen to this, Jeanette. Um, when Jeanette decides she wants to go see her father, meet her real father, Miranda Cosgrove, like, you know, helps her get ready for it and goes with her and is there when Jeanette meets her father and, they, you know, they talk about it. And when uh, they're, like, riding around together when Jeanette learns that her mom's going to die and Miranda drives her over to, to the hospital. Like, Miranda's just seemed like a really good friend, you know. Well, when iCarly comes back the reboot, Miranda is very much about having Jeanette on board with it. Yeah. She's like, you know, we're coming back. It's a, it's a whole new family. And um, uh, I've talked to uh, the executives and we will be paid the same, which will be about approximately $300,000 per episode, which is interesting because it's really per episode. Was that really what they said? was, Okay, maybe maybe let's redact that because I don't I don't remember that. <laughs> See, is Alistair's um, alternative? But, uh, uh, but, but, but that, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> but that they were going to be offered uh, the same amount of money per episode. And she was like, yeah, the, it, it, it was a good amount of money. But one, I did not want to go back to uh, being another star on uh, a child, uh, a sitcom that she did as a child. Mm-hmm. And two, she was already beyond it. And, and it, she didn't believe it was good for me. It would have been backsliding for her yes. at that point in her in her life, in her career, that, that was she was making forward motion and she had to continue on that forward motion. And if she recognized that taking that role would be backsliding, I was really proud of her in this moment on the phone with Miranda because at this point, her and Miranda had kind of like not fallen out, but they'd kind of grown apart a little bit. Yeah, they weren't as close as they used to be. Um, And she tells Miranda straight up, you know, I don't think that's good for my mental health. I don't think I'm going to do it. Like, just straight up. And perfect. That's not her trying to people please. That's not, it's her looking out for herself, which is such a great point for somebody to get to, you know? And I feel like we all got to get to that point because I, I, I tend to say yes to a lot of people and say yes to a lot of things. And I, I feel bad if I don't say yes to things. And I've gotten to a point where I, I have started saying no and no has to mean no. And don't push back on this. I've had like a lot of conversations with a couple of people about me saying no. And when I say no, that means no. She just like, I, I like that she ends the book with like, no sort of definitive, I'm better now. I'm great. Because she still backslides a little bit, you know, throughout the end of the book. And kind of like, there's a part on the airplane where she's, you know, throwing up. And um, she kind of ends the book with, I am <laughs> coming back around to the title, which is a really great place to kind of end the book, right? She comes back around to the title and she's like, I loved my mother. And I really miss my mother sometimes. And sometimes I feel really guilty still. And I I miss when my mom would be really happy, like true happiness coming from my mother because she was so fun. And all of these things that I miss about my mother and I love about my mother. But I am, I am I'm glad my mom died. Yeah. <laughs> because if my mom didn't die, I would still be stuck in a cycle of abuse. I would still be you know, anxious, I would still be all of these things that I didn't even recognize about myself. Um, and now that my mom is not here, I was I am able to remove myself from that and see what was wrong, how I can change how I can go forward. And it's better that my mom is not in my life. Right. Um, and then there's just like a bunch of other stuff in this book too, right? Like the grandma is is kind of the same way as the mother would call her and be like manipulative, kind of really yeah. emotionally manipulative. And it, it just seems like she came from a cycle and the cycle was just continuing. So, um, which is like we it, end the book when she's, yeah. What? No, no, no. Did, 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 I, I was saying, I think that we're in a generation that is trying to break these cycles. Yeah. I, I understand that, like, all of these buzz, buzzwords, like gaslighting and all of these words that, like, everybody just overuses sometimes is, is so annoying for people to hear. And it sounds like Twitter in real life. But these this is language that we are, like, able to. Used to explain things that before we didn't, weren't really explained. Like, I didn't know how to explain things. Like, the word gaslight is such a great descriptor of some of the things I've been through that I can, I can, I can use that. And I know what I'm talking about. Whereas before, I would try to explain things. It would go in a circle and I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, right? Like, we are having conversations about parental abuse, about like emotional abuse, about like eating disorders, all of that. All of these things are on the table now where they weren't always there, you know? My mom is talking to me about abuse and, and some of the things maybe she went through in her life. 
And she's never talked to me about any of that stuff before, you know, and now she's able to talk to me about that stuff because she's understanding that because it's all on the table. Whereas for the last however many years of her life, it wasn't out there for her to understand or talk about, you know, Um, it it wasn't it's it was like a generation generations of people who did not talk about things and therefore they didn't know that other people were having similar experiences. And so they learn something from their parent. They go off and do the same thing. And then their child, like it's that whole cycle and it has to be broken at some point. And we are like in such a great place where we are talking about stuff like this, even though it seems annoying and it seems like pandering. It seems like everybody, you know, nobody knows how to have a, an honest thought for themselves. You know, it just is better for us to, to talk about this stuff, you know, like when I did my, I did, I did my daddy lessons or what is it, what is it called? Daddy issues. Daddy lessons. <laughs> daddy lessons. Sorry. Are you Beyonce? <laughs> I did my daddy issues, uh, video and I, that was the first time I ever really talked about like the abuse I'd gone through and my relationship with my dad, because my dad was something I didn't really talk about all that often. And I kind of like, anytime he would appear on my videos or anything, it was always like as, as him as part of the family unit. And I love my family and everything like that. Nothing bad to say about my family, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I went through this whole thing, you know, like this whole life experience, um, that I'd never talked about. And when I finally talked about it, it was like very freeing, you know, and I got a lot of pushback from, from certain people in my family about that. Um, and you then I had pushback a, from some people in the comments from people in the comments. And then I had other people like really like more people really supportive and like then sharing their experiences, right. And saying, yeah, um, I felt really bad when my dad died because I'd cut him off for like 10 years, but it was something that I needed to happen. And then like, I just, I'm, as I'm reading the end of this book, I'm like thinking about all of those people and all those people who are like, yeah, the best thing for me, for my life was for my parent to die and be gone. You know, the the thing is, I think that we're really breaking the family narrative where it was like, you know, you have to love your family because they're your family. You're never going to be able to, you know, have yeah. another family yeah. and all that stuff. And and now we're recognizing that um, sometimes your family aren't people that you want to really associate with. And you, yeah, and it, yeah. It, it, it's fine if you don't. It's fine if you do. Um, you make that decision for yourself and your own mental health. And the thing is, uh, at the end of the day, you are the person who makes a choice of whether to surround yourself with people that bring you joy and bring you love or, or, or trigger you really. Uh, yeah. And I, I love that we are at, we are at a point of understanding in today's culture that you can, you can choose your family, your family that you were assigned to at birth. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to stick with them. If they're not going to treat you right, if they're going to abuse you, if they're not going to, if you don't feel valued by them or respected by them, you don't have to stick around. Um, your family, your parents have to give you the same respect that they uh, demand from you. You know, it has to be a mutual thing. And I just love this book. I love this book. I love that it talks about family trauma and it talks about parental abuse and it talks about eating disorders. And, and I'm so happy. I've, I've been watching interviews with, about it um, and about her talking about, you know, the reactions to the book and her, her brothers are super on board with it. I wonder about her grandparents, <laughs> what did, but um, her brothers are super on board with it. And they're like really happy that she's telling her story and, you know, putting it all out there. And it, 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 it's interesting because it's also like, a, it's a story of recovery, but I never feel like I'm being talked to at yeah you know yeah you know she's like this is how i learned this but she's talking about it as her own experience not like this is how you'll fix this you know yeah and i i I really liked it i think that she did such a good job writing this book um it was short and sweet um it was honestly if you're gonna pick it up 
Um, it's a six hour listen, um, probably like a day read at the beach or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It's poignant. Um, and it, ha- it has everything that you, you'd want. And it doesn't leave you feeling shitty. I don't feel like we even did a great job like covering this. I wish we could have gone through all of the themes and everything. It was just we're already at like an hour and a half at this recording. And Are we breaking it up into yeah, two episodes? I don't know what we're doing. We can't. We can't. I'm just going to leave it in one episode. But it's just you have to go read it for yourself. And you have to you have to tell us what you pulled from it and if you were able to pull anything from it. Because I, I really did pull so much that I relate to the family trauma. I, I, I the, the, the eating disorders, the, you know, body image. Like I, I may not have had the exact same experience as her, but I pulled so much from that and gleaned so much, you know, new understanding from this book. And so I'm, I'm like really proud of her and I'm really happy that she wrote this book. What did you pull anything? What'd you, what'd you get from this? I've been I, talking a lot about myself. What'd you get from this book? Um, I got a really excellent uh, reading experience um, <laughs> from the book, and it would it also let me recognize some of uh, my own uh, isms. No, not isms. I feel like isms is a bad word. It, it, it helped me recognize some of my the ways I backtrack to myself and the ways I'm abusive to myself, and it, 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 it so that was very recognizable, and it made me really want to talk to it. it I think it's a conversation starter, and I think it's a, it's a, it's a strong, it's a, it's a strong book, um, and you know I'm excited to see what comes next. She did, she did, she has said in a, a recent interview promoting this book that she is open to coming back to acting again, and that she retired from acting at that time because it felt like things she needed to do at the time. She and you know it felt very final at that time, but now she says with the, with the right sort of steps that she thinks she could come back. And well, it's also like she associated it with trauma, right? So yeah, you, you got to take away the even food, and that's the thing. And as I I, I think it's such an interesting thing about like uh, um, eating disorders is eating disorders aren't like something you can just quit. Yeah. You know, you can't just quit. It's going to be something she's going to be working on for the rest of her yeah. life. And she recognizes that, you know, and she, she can act accordingly and she might, she might slip up, but it's all about not sliding. As long as, not, as, long as you're not sliding. Don't be sliding. No slipping and sliding. Okay. Mm. Well, I, uh, the camera's already cut off by now, so you're just listening to us. But um, uh, let us know what you thought about this book. Did you read it? If you haven't, are you going to go pick it up? Definitely go pick it up. Um, I'm glad my mother died by Jeanette McCurdy. Uh, we thank you all for sitting in with us. And, and uh, uh, if, if you want, if you're uh, watching us on YouTube, please leave a comment and a like. Uh, we would love that. If you are listening to us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, or any other podcasting platform, we would love if you'd leave us a rating and a review if you can. Thank you. We really, sorry. <laughs> I'm getting emotional. Are um, you or are no, you just no. coughing? No. I was just, I was just coughing. <laughs> um, he's, uh, he's, he's doing, he's, uh, he's the best crier in town. We all know. <laughs> Uh, we all really, I mean, we all, it's just you, me, yeah. uh, we really appreciate, uh, y'all support. And, um, I am looking forward to next time I'm back on coffee and tequila. Yeah. He might be gone for a couple of episodes, but he will be back. So yes. we will see you next time. Adios, gentle listeners. <laughs>